ago i was playing basketball with you know the professional members of calvary bible fellowship and uh being somewhat hindered in stature and and you know in a moment of inspiration i decided to take a leap of faith so to speak i leapt being inspired i also thought it appropriate to be uh you know to do a spin in the air you know i'm playing with professionals it would be a professional thing to do the ball continued flying and as it neared the tip of my fingers gravity violently and rudely and unprofessionally reminded me of its existence a day later the doctor with a smile on his face told me that i had torn a ligament and that i might have to wear a cast now you see i was you might be wondering why i'm smiling like this i was preparing for this sermon at that time and i was like aha god is telling me a wonderful illustration to like give to cbf and not only that i had found a very good joke the easiest time to add insult to injury is when you are signing someone's cast judging by that lack of laughter i'm glad i didn't pursue that the cast never came saumya also did not laugh at my joke god had other plans and so instead of an inspirational motivational personal real funny story to open the sermon i decided to search for rajnikanth jokes it is said of the popular south indian actor rajnikanth can strangle someone with a cordless phone rajnikanth can hear sign language rajnikanth killed the dead sea rajnikanth once wrote a check and the bank bounced and the best or the worst depending on who you are rajnikanth does not wear a watch he decides the time i think we all wish at times to be like rajnikanth having everything work out the way we want if not everything at least sermon illustrations jokes apart i am sure that many of us have been rudely interrupted in life by difficult circumstances why does this keep happening to me why do i deserve this god what are you doing in all of this in the passage that was read i think the main command is fairly obvious when difficult circumstances hit us we should count it all joy but how do we do that in all of these difficult circumstances how can we respond with joy when james the brother of jesus wrote this letter he wrote it to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations if you saw in verse 1 this most likely refers to jewish believers who were probably kicked out of jerusalem during you know the time when saul persecuted the church they were moved across the roman empire they were displaced from home probably persecuted living in poverty with landowners taking advantage of them rich people dragging them to court scorning their faith there were other problems in the church as well partiality loose tongues quarreling but at the heart of it was a double mindedness that led to faithlessness or rather a faith that did not work in practice but when we look at the text that kevin read for us today right i think at least it would help us to remember that these believers were generally living in difficult circumstances frustration persecution not at home things were not going their way 
And considering the fact that this is probably, well, this is the first thing that James is addressing, and he actually takes 18 verses to do it. We're just covering the first four, right? We get the idea that this was a very important matter that he was addressing for his church. And I think it applies to many of us as well. But when we consider how James begins his letter, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, it might sound either extremely familiar, because we've heard it time and again, either from the pulpit, from the Bible, or from well-meaning brother or sister, or it can just sound pompous, absurd, and discouraging. I can totally imagine Philip saying, bro, grace, bro, no one taught you to write letters about. Who starts with count it all joy when you meet trials? But that is exactly how James starts. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Like I said, I think everyone agrees that the main command is to see these difficult circumstances as occasions for joy. Paul also in a parallel passage in Romans says, rejoice, we ought to rejoice in our sufferings as if, you know, rejoicing is the most obvious thing to do. It's easy to just dump a command on us and say, obey. But this isn't an easy command. Doesn't matter. Obey, obey, obey. That is the Christian way. If you don't obey, you will pay. Is that what James is doing here? Just leaving us with a command to obey? I think not. I'd like us all to see that God, through James, is not merely throwing a command at us. The command instead is built on a foundation. And if we don't know or understand the foundation of the command, we won't be able to obey it. But before we dig into the foundation, I find a few things very interesting to look at when we look at just the command in verse 2. Look with me uh, at the text. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, James could have stopped at when you meet trials. But he makes the inspired addition of saying when you meet trials of various kinds. Multicolored trials, trials of all kinds of shapes and sizes, trials of every variety. Clearly, James is not talking only about the extremely harsh situations that they were going through. He was not only talking about persecution or only talking about the painful realities of life. He was talking about all kinds of difficult circumstances, all kinds of pain, suffering and difficulties from crying babies in the middle of the night, frustrations of relationships, the difficulties of work on one hand to being shaken by painful illness, suffering and the loss of a loved one on the other. My brother and sister, can I encourage you that you ought not to be robbed of deep joy by assuming that James is not talking about you. Your trial and your circumstance are exactly what James is talking about. You see, trials come in all kinds of variety. Another thing worth observing in verse 2 is that James does not say, if you meet trials of various kinds, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, trials are inevitable. All of us have either just come out of a trial, are in a trial, 
are about to go through a trial, and I'm not referring to this sermon. I think the questions that were posed to the elders over the last few days point to this, that we are all in our own way dealing with one kind of trouble or another. Job said in Job 5, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Trials come in all kinds of variety. Trials are inevitable. A third aspect to note in that verse is that trials are not self-created. I don't make my own trials. Uh, These trials are encountered. They are met. James will deal with self-created trials soon. He calls them temptations. But here in verse 2, right, the, especially if you read the NET, the KJV and the NKJV, the word that they use is when you fall into various trials. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Good Samaritan parable when he says that that man fell among thieves or when Luke talks about, you know, Paul's shipwreck and he says the, the, the boat fell upon a reef. Trials appear out of nowhere and shock us. They are unexpected. They are circumstances that are totally out of our control. You see, I didn't want to fall while playing basketball. The man in that parable did not want, or well, he did not go looking for thieves. The sailors on Paul's boat did not say, oh, hey, that's a nice, cute sandbar. Let's, you know, go say hello and face some difficulty, bro. None of them did that. Trials are various. They are inevitable. They are unexpected. And in the light of all of this, we are to count it joy. Count it joy. That's how we ought to respond, says James. Count it joy, or to put it differently in financial language, account trials to be profitable. See trials as worth it. This is no easy command. What what we'll do is we'll come back to the command at the end, but I must clarify that James is not telling us to find pleasure in trial or pain. He's not also, you know, trying to kind of put some soothing balm on our thing and look for some surface level happiness. If we read correctly, James is asking us to do some math well. He's asking us to count well. He's asking us to do our accounts properly. In other words, when we inevitably and unexpectedly fall into various trials, we should see these trials as profitable. We should see these trials as worth it by doing our accounts correctly. Sure, I get that. But how do I do that? How do I see difficult circumstances as profitable, as worth it? How do I respond with joy? It is so encouraging that James does not merely leave us with a command. How does verse 3 begin in most of your translations? For, because, the NASB says knowing. Because you know. That little word for, because is so ignored but so crucial when we read the Bible. And this because is crucial because it tells us that God is very, very interested for us to know and see his reasons for the argument. God does not want us to fake our joy. God does not want us to walk around with plastered smiles on our face when our hearts are broken. 
God wants us to have joy that is deep and strong with foundations that cannot be shattered. Joy that is independent of circumstance. In other words, God is not merely commanding us to rejoice. God is telling us why we ought to rejoice. And if we understand why we ought to rejoice, we understand how we ought to find all of this as joy. James is saying we ought to do account our trials as profitable and thus occasions of great joy because we know something. In other words, simple financial principle. You want to do your accounts right? You know, you need to know how to do it right. Right accounting stems from right knowledge. Right knowledge is the basis for right accounting. If I don't know math, I'm not going to be able to do math. Simple. But knowledge about what? If you observe verse 3, right, you can see two things at least. Number one, trials involve the refining of faith. When we know that trials are testing, are perfecting our faith, that is step one to seeing trials as worth it. If you observe verse 3, you see that James changes the way he describes trials. Now he uses the phrase, the testing of your faith. Testing here is not referring to an examination, but a refining of existing faith. Uh, Tobin, can I just ask you to read Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 21, and you can follow along as, as he reads it. It's, it's the same idea. Proverbs 27 and verse 21. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Right. See it again? I think some versions will have proved there. The crucible is for silver and gold. Man is proved by something. At a refinery, impure gold is heated until all the impurities fall off, leaving pure gold, tested gold, refined, proven gold. James is saying that trials are that, are like that. Trials are a refining fire that burns away all impurities, leaving us with pure gold for faith. Brothers and sisters, we need not pretend that the heat of our trials does not hurt us. Trials are a fire. Fire burns, even when our faith is strong. Nonetheless, if our trials are a refining test, then our trials, our difficult circumstances are not random. They are not pointless. They are not from Satan either. They come from a tester, a refiner, and not just any tester, but the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good God, the kind God, the loving God who works all things for the good of his children. And so, as James will say later on at the end of his argument in verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What gift is he referring to? What did he just speak about all through those verses? Trials. These good and perfect gifts include the trials we face. They are good. They are perfect because God the giver is good and perfect. And though they are painful, yes, they are painful, 
we need to know that they are in fact gifts gifts from a loving father meant to refine our faith how do we count trials as worth it we need to know that trials refine our faith and i must ask each one of us this do we have genuine faith do we want and desire our faith to be refined do we want our faith to be purified or are we just content with acting like christians why because it's a good thing to do let me put it differently in accounting terms is refined pure testing faith valuable to me is refined faith worth it when inevitable trials of various kinds unexpectedly show up in our lives we account these trials as worth it why because we know that these trials involve a purification of our faith but this is not all of it since we are talking about trials yesterday our brother caleb was saying that paul did in fact write his second letter to the corinthians from bangalore south indian scholars of theology argue with much vigor that paul was riding bmtc bus number 296 from henur depot to shivaji nagar when he penned second corinthians 4:8 we are express we are experiencing trouble on every side but are not crushed we are perplexed but never driven to despair <clears throat> while paul was perplexed james readers also did not know a lot of things <clears throat> they did not know why these trials were happening now they did not know how long these trials would last but they did know one thing a simple promise filled with power for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance when we understand the power of these three words testing produces endurance we understand why god is a loving tester we begin to understand how to meet trials with all joy testing produces endurance let me contrast endurance with its opposite when my flame of faith doesn't endure it flickers out it dies so if we truly care for our faith and we don't want our faith to flicker out and die then we need some trials because james says that it is trials the testing of our faith that produces endurance for a long time i used to say that faith endures despite trials not because of trials i would think that when trouble comes faith is threatened not strengthened but james says that faith lasts faith is strengthened faith endures precisely because it undergoes trouble and threat <coughs> be it financial strain relational struggles or lifelong pain so what's so great about endurance what's so valuable about long lasting faith what makes endurance worth it why would knowing that i am enduring be a matter of joy 
the short answer is that it is only and only saving faith. It is only genuine faith that actually endures. In the parable of the sower or the soils, whichever way you want to call it, Jesus singled out one kind of person as the opposite of endurance. Let me read from Matthew chapter 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow. Yet he has no root in himself, no foundations. Observe, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Biblically, if I do not endure, it is called falling away. I was never saved. If I do endure, if I abide in Christ, the true vine, there is fruit. The writer to the Hebrews throughout his letter shouts out this one message. <coughs> you have need of endurance, lest you fall away. Enduring faith is truly worth it. Because with endurance, our faith doesn't flicker out. We don't fall away. How do you think the muscle men of CBF have arms that are larger than my legs? They heap weights on their hands. They force their arms to resist more and more and more. Repeated trials again and again and again are brought upon those arms. And over, times, and over time, their arms get stronger. And so if you could... Use your imagination. Picture me in a gym lifting with all my might the massive weight of 2.5 kgs with like sweat pouring from my brow and Jebin on the other hand playing with Mark in one hand and juggling 25 kgs of dumbbells on the other. Why? Because unlike me, he has endurance. After all the trials he put his arms through. If you and I want to endure in our faith, we need our faith muscles strengthened and our stamina stretched. Often in suffering, I think we can have eyes only for what our trials take away from us. We watch as the fire swallows up so many of our desires and dreams. But underneath what we see, we need to know that our trials are producing something of tremendous worth and value. Trials are worth it because testing produces endurance. This refining of faith through trial produces endurance. If we will trust, if we will put our faith in this promise of God, we will see that our trials give us <coughs> much more than they take away. A purified faith, a genuine faith that does not perish in the fire, but endures. <coughs> we lose a little, we gain much. Profit. So we can account our trials as profitable, as worth it, because we know that these trials involve a refining of our faith a testing of our faith. And these trials, these tests of faith produce endurance. And let me ask this of each of us. Do we trust this promise? Do we believe it? Do we desire it? 
are we okay with losing some of our relatively petty dreams and temporal pleasures to gain long lasting endurance do we want to finish our race of faith and bear fruit do we desire this let me put it in accounting terms is enduring genuine refined faith profitable to me is enduring faith worth it our trials are worth it because we know that these trials involve a refining of our faith and the production of endurance this is profitable but while endurance is the immediate result and as profitable as endurance might be it is not the ultimate goal of testing it is not the ultimate goal of trials amazing because what we just described as profitable is not the end there is more let's see what james has to say because he does say more verse 4 let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and if i were to render it more literally to allow the alliterations out and let endurance do its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing straight away we see that james is giving us actually another command he tells us and his readers to let endurance have its full effect let endurance do its perfect work in other words these benefits and profits from testing come only to those of us who remain enduring we must persevere through our trials again and again and again and when we live with this lifestyle of endurance when we live life with this posture of endurance we are made more perfect and more complete day by day i have to remain enduring some of you know that somia and i are architects we design buildings for others and often it's hard for people especially those who are constructing their first house or first building it's hard for them most projects usually take especially at least the small ones usually take about a year several months are spent designing many more months are spent constructing and through all that time our clients can find it very hard to imagine what's going to happen at the end we can make all kinds of 3d models we can make all kinds of physical models but it's quite another thing to see construction actually happening because most of the construction period it's just a mess the rooms look smaller than they are they look darker than they should be there are holes in random places there's mess everywhere there are some there is some strange family living in the kitchen everything looks crazy in all of that chaos what's beautiful to note is our clients usually sit with bated breath because they know that we as architects on the other hand know where all of this is going we know what the finished product is going to look like but it takes time it is messy but oh the joy at the end when it is all complete now imagine if the client not liking this mess just said okay i'm just going to stop unfinished work misery just like that in the midst of all our trials we have to continue enduring as our sovereign architect as our sovereign builder chips away and makes us more 
and more well we'll see he knows what he's doing he knows and sees the finished product well in advance and so trials involve a refining of faith this produces endurance and we have to remain enduring for god's ultimate purposes to be achieved and what is god's ultimate purpose what is that finished product that he sees well in advance james repeatedly uses if you see verse 4 superlatives that we may be perfect that we may be complete and as if that was not enough that we may be lacking in nothing james is holding before us exactly what god desires for each of us to be the man or woman par excellence he is presenting to us the final model the final grand design in the old testament this meant maturity of character take noah for example noah was blameless in his generation same idea but here's the thing in his sermon on the mount jesus took that up a notch he says you therefore must be perfect just as anyone remembers that's right your heavenly father is perfect you must be perfect just like your heavenly father is perfect and this is what james is leading us to the ultimate goal of our enduring trials a full blown maturity of character that reflects the perfections of who god really is to be clear he is not talking only about a state of sinlessness nor is he saying that we will attain all of this in this life but that does not mean we lower the bar that does not mean we lower our expectations or our hope let me put it differently which man perfectly embodies perfect and complete lacking in nothing which man jesus and is that not god's all goal for his children to be conformed to the image of his son we love romans 828 right there too paul is talking in the midst of groaning and suffering and we know that for those who love god all things god works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and the next verse very important for those whom he foreknew he also predestined for what to be conformed to the image of his son Ephesians 4:13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the fullness of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature unlike mine of the fullness of jesus christ how does a person become mature and christ like various inevitable unexpected refining trials these are god's means to make his children like his son and as we endure we should endure we grow more and more and more like jesus make no mistake we have to run this race with endurance just like jesus ran his race with endurance all the way to the end as hebrews 12 says it by enduring the cross jesus is our standard he is also our example he is the man perfect and complete lacking in nothing he is the final end product that god wants to make us into is that worth it my wife somia and her sister namrata were clarence high school's top 
athletes in their day. They decimated competition. And I mean that. Ask any Clarencian who lived in those days. Soumya would deny this, but I love telling the story of how Soumya and her sister were so good at running that during a race, no less, during a race, they were chatting with one another, encouraging one another to run well. Imagine that, chit-chat while running. It seemed like winning races was a cakewalk and it really would have been a shock in those days if they didn't win school championships every year, which they did. But they did not get there by accident. They did not get there on raw talent alone. For almost a decade, every weekday, two hours were spent running and running and stretching and running until they threw up. Literally. If you ask them, did you like it? No. Who wants to run, stretch, run, stretch until you vomit? What? Why did you do it? It was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it. Do you see why right accounting is important? There was throwing up. There was exhaustion. There was pain. But the end result was worth more. Is Christ-likeness worth it to you and me? Is it worth the pain of trials? Do we yearn for maturity? Do we yearn for this Christ-likeness? Is it our mission in life to be conformed? I mean it. Is it our mission in life to be conformed to the image of Jesus? Let me put it again in accounting terms. Is Christ-like maturity truly profitable to me? These questions of profitability and worth can theoretically be answered with a yes. But can I humbly ask us to check our hearts, our desires? I ask myself, do I truly desire enduring faith? Do I truly want Christ-likeness? So how do we respond with joy coming back to the command to the variety of trials that we encounter in life. We respond with joy when we see trials as profitable and worth it. This is possible only when we value what God is doing. If what God is doing is precious, then trials are precious too. The immediate result of trials is endurance. Do we value that? The ultimate reason for God giving us trials is to make us like his son. Do we value that? What's interesting is that two other passages, Romans 5 and 1 Peter 1, are parallel to this passage. And even there, the authors say rejoice, but they don't just leave us with a command. They also build the command on the foundation of what we value. Let me just read 1 Peter 1 verses 6 to 9, just for, uh, you know, assistance. In this, meaning all that he said from verses 3 to 5, 1 Peter 1 verses 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Real grief. Purpose, verse 7, so that the tested Genuineness, refining like James, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The ultimate outcome of this trial-tested, genuine, enduring faith, in Peter's words, is the salvation of our souls. No wonder he's talking about inexpressible joy. Is salvation worth it? If we truly desire our final salvation, what we call our glorification, we will have joy in our trials now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I disagree with what Caleb was saying about the BMTC bus theory. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us. The light, momentary affliction is itself, that is what is preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory. Light, heavy. Momentary, eternal. This eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The question is, is that worth it? So how do we see trials as occasions for joy? How do we say that they are worth it? If endurance and Christ-likeness are worth it, if endurance and Christ-likeness are profitable to me, and trials are God's way of bringing about endurance and Christ-likeness, then joy is natural. If I value Christ-likeness and endurance, trials will be valuable. Joy would be the most natural response to trials, won't it? So we can rejoice in trials only when they are worth it. And they are worth it only when enduring faith and Christ-likeness are worth it. There is more to James's argument. He continues all the way till verse 18. But let me ask this question today. Do we love God? Is he worth it? Is what he is doing in our trials worth it? James is not just, you know, checking whether we are obeying the command. He's probing our hearts. This is not a surface issue. How we deal with trials is symptomatic. It is a symptom of where our heart really is. If my response is not joy, I need to go to God and ask for help. I need him to work on my heart. It is a heart matter. My response of joy is a symptom of where my foundations are. If I truly desire and value Christ-likeness and endurance, if trials make that possible, I will rejoice. I love how the Apostle Paul in that CBF t-shirt, those verses, Philippians 3, talks in so much accounting language. Whatever profit I had, I accounted as loss. What kind of accounting is this? Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, value and profit of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and it is all like dung to me. 
in order that I may gain profit Christ and be found in him. And Paul, if you read that, continues to talk about pressing on and enduring toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is obvious that our response to trials ought to be rejoicing. But can we probe deeper into our hearts? Do our hearts value endurance? Does my heart value growing into Christ-like maturity? Is Christ-likeness worth it to me? Do I see it as profitable? If some of us are feeling discouraged because it seems like that's not where we are, if some of us want to know perhaps how practically to love God and his purposes some more, can I just ask us to do something that everyone has suggested time and time again? I suggest these things because the Bible suggests them as well. If right accounting stems from right knowledge, can I suggest that we spend time with God to know him? No couple is going to grow in love and understanding of one another without spending time with one another. I'm talking about reading your Bible, read, studying my Bible, praying and spending time with those in our church. These are habits. Can I urge us not to let anything get in the way of that? Anything. Spend time with God every day, week in, week out, year in, year out. At least if, if this is hard for us, can, can, can I suggest that we commit to six months of doing these habits? If, it, if, if you need, take help. The church, we are with you. This is not a battle we have to fight on our own. Take help to enforce it. If, if you miss a day and that's understandable, make sure you don't miss two days. Can I also suggest a habit, another habit that, that I'm trying to cultivate to just get this in my head, to get my foundations right. So often I get very frustrated when I'm in the middle of deep work and, and you know, the phone suddenly rings. The easy way out is to just put the phone on silent. Now I keep my phone on loud so that whenever the phone rings, I count to three, count it all joy. And in my head, I remind myself, this is for my joy. This interruption, as lame as it might sound, is for my joy. Alternatively, perhaps if, if phone calls are not your thing, you can set an alarm on your phone every half an hour. Remind yourself. Mothers and work from home fathers, perhaps you can do this whenever you hear your child cry. Essentially, pick a trigger, something that happens often every day. Remember the foundation. Trials produce endurance. Endurance leads to Christ-likeness. Therefore, we have joy. It is easy to find joy in success. It is easy to be a prime athlete and confess Christ at the peak of our success. But it takes deep foundations to find joy in difficulty. I'm reminded of testimonies of people like Lisa's friend Luke, who lost his leg and nearly lost his father in the motorcycle accident. I'm reminded of the often ignored mothers and wives that give up much for their children and their husbands. I'm reminded of people in our church for whom difficulty and pain are just part of life. These mighty men and women have pain, but their joy is deeper than the pain. 
make no mistake the pain is real we're not trying to pretend here the frustrations are real but the joy is deeper why because our hearts see what god is doing brothers and sisters for joy we need to do our accounts correctly we need to do our math right we need to get our eyes kind of oriented in order to get there i need to know something i need to value something that the variety of the trials that we encounter be it the sighing of of sleepless nights to the sorrow of forever sleeping loved ones all these difficult circumstances are actually servants from god these trials are lovingly custom made for each and every one of us to make us endure to the point of christ likeness if you noticed i titled this sermon our trials worth it can i end with this question for each of us is christ likeness worth it let's pray together god our father we thank you so much that when we gather in this way we have a bible that we can turn to your word is fixed in the heavens all your promises including what we read today find their yes and their amen in jesus lord we thank you that in christ you give us one blessing after another and although we may be tempted each and every day to see trials as miserable and difficulty and difficult father help us to do our accounts right help us to recognize that they are in fact of great value lord our lives have been marked by difficult days some over a long period of time have been wrestling with illness or with family circumstances that just never seem to end some are living without anyone to love them others are living with unfulfilled hopes broken dreams buffeted by disappointment and by doubt and darkness Lord our trials are hard they are hard and we need to respond with joy father this supernatural response of joy can only come if you change our hearts and so lord change our hearts i pray in the name of jesus our example and our forerunner